Well, join me now in 2 Peter chapter 2, and today let's talk about false teachers. Have you ever been cheated? Have you ever been ripped off? I think back over my life, and I'm sure there have been times when I was and didn't know it. I know there were times when I lived in Memphis years ago, when Joy and I lived there for seminary, that I suspected that our mechanic out there was ripping me off. I didn't know, I didn't know anything about cars, but you know, you're in a new city, you take your car, I don't know, it's possible. I know this, that when we lived in Central Asia and we did all our shopping and open air markets and buying our vegetables and bread and you take taxis to and from, I know people tried to rip me off there on many occasions. They would often give me the tourist price for things and I had to learn two phrases to say with a smile. First one, mon tourist ne. And then this one, Manjini name. I'm not a tourist and I'm not crazy. <laughs> Those are the two phrases. And it, it did work. The price would come down to something more normal for what a local person would pay. But I can't think of ever being seriously ripped off. But you and I know that there are con artists out there and they have ripped off some people to the tune of tens of thousands of dollars. And it's so tragic to read of these. This week, I was reading a Reuters news story about just such an occasion. A 78-year-old woman in England was ripped off, lost her life savings. Listen to this story. London, October 14th, Reuters. It was an email offering a discount on an electric toothbrush that began the sequence of events that ruined Anna's life. Within minutes of entering her credit card details, she got a call from her bank telling her that fraudulent transactions were being made. The next day, Robert Clayton from Britain's Financial Conduct Authority called to say that they were pursuing the criminals responsible, but that her savings were at risk. Listen to this. There was no toothbrush, no fraudulent, no, no fraud department, and no Robert Clayton. They were all part of a scam to gradually siphon off Anna's life savings. And within a few weeks, the plot had succeeded to the tune of about 200,000 pounds or $270,000. Here's what she said. I'm still in shock. The guilt and shame are impossible to convey, said the 78-year-old widow from Central England who did not want her full name to be used in this story. She's one of thousands of people who have seen savings swept away this year by an unprecedented wave of online bank fraud hitting Britain where you're more likely to be a victim of online fraud than any other crime. So there are scam artists out there, therefore guard your wallet. Peter's gonna tell us there are spiritual con artists out there, therefore guard your mind, guard your heart, guard your very soul. Hear the word of God, 2 Peter 2, beginning in verse one. But false prophets, also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be, will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Peter, with these verses, takes us into now an extended teaching on false teachers that we're going to take on for the weeks to come. It's a lengthy session, 
section, but he, he brings it up here with these first three verses. And the first thing we want to note together is the reality of false teachers. Simply the reality of these false teachers. That's verse one. But false prophets also arose among the people. Now, right before this section, Peter had just told us about how we have true prophets giving us true scripture. He told us about that process in back, back in chapter one, verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He says, that's how we got scripture. That's how the true prophets of God brought messages, not from their own will, but the Holy Spirit gave it to them. But he now tells us, hey, but be aware, there have always been among the true prophets, there have always been some false prophets. It's been true historically. Notice again the tense of this. But false prophets also arose among the people. And we can think back in the Old Testament of occasion after occasion when the faithful had to deal with the false. And so one example is 1 Kings 22. The prophet Micaiah, faithful alone, when there were 400 false prophets trying to influence the king. They said, can we inquire of a man of God? And they said, well, I know of one prophet of the Lord. He never prophesies anything good about me. And so the 400 false prophets were saying, go into battle, you'll succeed. Micaiah, what do you say? First, he kind of played with them. He said, go get it, you can win. They, they said, no, tell the truth. He said, no, you'll, you'll surely be defeated if you go. But I love that Micaiah willing to stand alone in the midst of 400 false prophets. I'll just tell the truth what God is telling me. More famously than Micaiah is Elijah. And he had that occasion where he had to face off with 850 false prophets, those of Baal and the goddess Asherah. And there he was faithful to God as a true prophet of God. We can also look in Jeremiah's writings. And Jeremiah was a faithful man in his time, seemingly standing alone, false prophets all over the land. And he complained to God in prayer about the false prophets. Listen to what God said back. This is Jeremiah 14, 14. And the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although I did not send them, and who say sword and famine shall not come upon this land. By sword and famine, those prophets shall be consumed. We're just talking about the reality of false teachers. It's a historical problem. We see it in the Old Testament, but it's also a present and future problem. And that's what Peter says here in verse one again, notice it. But false prophets also arose among the people. Now catch this, just as there will be false teachers among you. It's a present problem, Peter said. Paul warned the church at Ephesus, the, the leaders of the church at Ephesus gathered together in Acts 20, we read this. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves, men will arise speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. There are false teachers. Paul told Timothy the same warning. He says in 2 Timothy 4, 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Consider with me, this is Peter writing now in this text here in 2 Peter 2. He's writing in the first century into some of the first churches ever. 
And false teachers had already infiltrated the churches to where he has to address it right here. So in the old covenant, we had to face false teachers. In the earliest churches, they had to deal with false teachers. What about 2021? We have to deal with false teachers in our time. This is a very relevant and needed word for us. Now you and I sadly have come to expect that we're gonna hear falsehood from the culture around us. These are unbelievers, they've been misled, and the things that they put forward as truth are not true, and so we're always guarded, and we have to be. But what's even more sad than that context is the fact that many pastors and many churches have long since left the Bible as their authority. When they gather together, they're gonna teach something, anything but the scriptures. Let me illustrate this problem to you. Now, what if you had a friend who moved to Richmond and you wanted them to come to church with you, but for whatever reason, they don't wanna come to church with you. Maybe it's you. More likely it'd be me. I don't know about that gym guy. I don't think I wanna go. Tell me about another church that I could go to. And so you, you tell them this. Why don't you just Google churches in Richmond? And uh, I'm sure you'll do fine. Just go to one of those. Would anybody do that? No, that'd be like Russian roulette, where you would tell somebody they'd go to any church and you'll be fine. No, there's so much false teaching out there. If you love somebody, you're going to tell them, hey, watch out. A lot of them are off. Sadly, a high percentage are off. And so a lot of church is unhealthy. But also then there are the theological cults. And we could talk about Mormonism. And in fact, I will. We have the temple going up down the street and Mormonism is a false belief system. It's not Christianity. It's the teachings of a false prophet from the 1800s named Joseph Smith. I hold in my hand a copy of the Book of Mormon, also included here, Doctrine and Covenants and Pearl of Great Price. It's, it's their so-called scriptures and it's not true. In fact, it's really a testament to how far a false teaching can go where, where millions have been misled and, and then massive temples like the one down the street going up and we'll come back to that topic of Mormonism in just a moment. So first of all, we've just been talking about the reality of false teachers. Next, let's talk together about the dangers of false teachers. Here again, our text. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will, catch this, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction and many will follow their sensuality and because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Peter calls them false teachers, meaning they bring a counterfeit message. False teachers, meaning they claim to be men of God but they teach things contrary to the message of God. So he says, this is who they are, they're false, but he also clues us into their tactics. Notice we're told that they secretly bring in these destructive heresies. That word secretly bringing in, that carries the idea of smuggling. We're familiar with that word smuggling. We think about our border and how we have border control agents who try to keep, among other things, drugs from coming into our country and they'll use low-tech and high-tech means to try to find these drugs because the drug cartels will, will try to secretly bring them in. They're gonna disguise the drug shipment. So they'll use dogs to try to sniff out the drugs. They'll pat people down. 
They'll also have these massive x-ray machines where they can scan cars and trucks coming in because they're looking for secretly hidden dangerous things trying to come into the country. It is the same tactic of the false teachers. They're going to try to bring them in subtly, secretly smuggle them in to the churches. So the things you and I should be alert to is that among the false teachers, they will use some scripture. And that'll really throw a person off. Wait a minute. He's, he's talking from the Bible. He's, he's got a Bible. He's saying all this stuff. And sometimes they'll say some true things in the midst of a lot of false things. We cannot be gullible. A false teacher will oftentimes smile and have an image of respectability. They'll look the part. Sometimes they'll use labels for themselves that sound legitimate. So they're an elder, or they're a pastor, or they're a bishop, or they'll call themselves apostle, or a prophet, or professor. They'll do their false teaching in churches, sometimes on so-called Christian television. And oftentimes they'll claim to have an inside relationship with God that you could never have because of their special status. They can tell you things that, yeah, you're not going to see that in the Bible, but they, they, you should trust them because they are a prophet. They've got a word for you. You should just go along with them. Jesus called them wolves dressed up in sheep's clothing. All along, we've been told, be careful. Don't be gullible. Be discerning. Notice here, Peter calls these heresies. These are destructive heresies. And so here comes a the question, then what's a heresy? So we know that two good Bible-believing Christians, we could disagree on something, right? I mean, the Bible only means one thing. The verses can't be open to interpretation. But sometimes two faithful men can look at the Scripture and go, you know, I think that verse is talking about this. And a person go, I, I really think it's saying that. And, and on a second-tier, third-tier issue, that's okay. It's not, that's not heresy that we would maybe differ a little bit on something like that. But a heresy is when somebody really rejects one of the bedrocks of the Christian faith as we learn in the scriptures. For instance, a heresy would be to say, I don't believe the Trinity. I don't believe God is eternally existing as, as three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To reject that would mean you're not a true Christian. You are a heretic. Or to reject the deity of Christ, that Jesus is not God in the flesh. You have a, a lower view of Jesus in the scripture. Yes, fully man and also fully God. If a person rejects that, they are into heresy, not a genuine believer. Or a person who rejects salvation by grace alone. So if somebody says, well, it's not just trusting in Jesus. You've got to do these works also or some other way of getting to heaven. And then that person is into heresy, not a true believer. Or a person who rejects the authority of Scripture. I don't believe that. I have another set of things that I believe. This is my source of authority that would be heretical, very dangerous. These are destructive heresies. Now, Peter specifies several things here that he has in mind for his context for these first readers. Uh, these destructive heresies, he elaborates and says they're denying the master who bought them. That would be huge. If you say, I'm a believer in Jesus, but I'm denying him in some way. Let's first ask this question. How did he buy you? How did he purchase you? Jesus purchased you with his blood. Think about this. He has claim on your life like nobody else because Jesus made you. You do know that, right? Our triune God involved in the creation, God the Son involved in creation. But not only that, God seeing us in our pitiful condition, locked into our sinful condition, had mercy. Jesus came for us to rescue us, gave his body and blood, was raised from the dead, offering us everlasting life as a free gift. He bought you. Can you imagine receiving that and then turn around saying, but I, I reject him. 
Now, typically, people won't say it quite outright like that. They want to think they're not denying the master who bought them, but sometimes it might show up like this. A person who says, well, I have been saved, but Jesus isn't the only way to be saved. Some people can say, he's my way to God, but you don't necessarily have to go through that way. You, you can have your own way to him. But that's denying the Savior who bought you to say Jesus didn't even need to die on the cross. If you're nice enough, you just, go to, you just go to heaven by being nice. That is rejection of the gospel. That's rejecting what Jesus did to save you. His death was necessary, his resurrection necessary for anybody to be reconciled to God. Another way of denying the master who bought you is to reject the biblical Jesus for a Jesus of your own imagination. And many people in our day love to do this. Rather than the Jesus who is, they'll come up with a very permissive Jesus. Now listen, nobody loves you more than Jesus. Who else would give his body and blood for you? So we cannot doubt or minimize the love of Jesus. But this loving Jesus also declares that he is the judge. We are told in the scriptures that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He's also the judge. We're told in Revelation 20 that there will be a great white throne judgment that every unbeliever will stand before. He is a judge. We can't have a caricature of Jesus where we make him all love and not else how else he is described. But I want us to come back to Mormonism here as we look at these destructive heresies. And I want us to think about, again, the false prophet Joseph Smith. Not trying to be unkind calling him that, but I want you to hear the gravity of our text that calls out this type of false teaching. And I just want to hold up as exhibit A, this book full of what Peter described in 2 Peter 1.16, cleverly devised myths. Remember Peter said in that context, hey, I'm an eyewitness. I was there with Jesus. We're giving you the gospel that we didn't make up and we're not bringing cleverly devised myths. We think about many of the false teachers, but let's just talk now for a moment just, by, just to illustrate Mormonism is a collection, a massive collection of, of cleverly and maybe not so cleverly devised myths. And millions have been misled by the Mormon church with the teachings of the false prophet, Joseph Smith from the 1800s. And, and we'll maybe in the weeks and months ahead as this temple is going up, as we anticipate the bicycles rolling in increasing numbers in our area, to be ready for that to be ready to respond with the true gospel. But let me just give you a little sampling of what your Mormon neighbors believe. First of all, they believe this, that God the Father was once a man like you on a different planet. So this is their teaching, that, that God the Father was once a man on a different world. And like you, that's what he was. But then he went through a progression to where he was exalted to be God. By the way, Mormons will talk about not just, not just Heavenly Father, but Heavenly Mother. They have a mother God as well in Mormon teaching. Not making this up, this is what the Mormons see. This is a cleverly devised myth. Not only that, that's shocking enough, but they believe that you, if you lead a good Mormon life, you too can go through that progression and be a God yourself of another world. So a lot of what's going to happen down the street at the temple are these secret sealing these marriages between a Mormon man and a woman and it's a part of their progression. It's one of those required things. You, if you want to get to that level to where you're a God one day, this is one of the things you, you will do. It's, it's quite off. There's nothing recognizable of that with what we find in biblical Christianity. This again is an invention of Joseph Smith in the 1800s here in the United States. It's not true. So think about what they're saying. They're, they're, they're a polytheistic religion. So it's not another denomination. We talk about Mormonism. They believe in many gods. 
If you ask a Mormon that, they'll say, no, no, this is the only God with whom we have to do. In other words, this is the God we deal with. But when pressed, they have to acknowledge, if you think you're going to become a God, and good Mormons before you became gods, there had to be many gods and goddesses. And so it is not Christianity. So an important application for us today is this, don't be gullible. When Mormons talk about God, they're not talking about your God. When they talk about Jesus, it's not the Jesus of the Bible. Don't be fooled by that name when they say Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Jesus is right in the name, but it's not the same Jesus. They have a low view of Jesus. Let, let me illustrate this way. There are a lot of people named Steve. In our church, we have a number of Steves. And all of our Steves are not the same person. When one family talks about Steve, they're talking about a specific Steve that's not that Steve. I haven't heard any cases of people going home with the wrong Steve. No wife and children. We went home, his name was Steve. I don't know how we missed it. Use the same name. It doesn't happen. But isn't it tricky in the realm of the spiritual? Like when they're talking about God, they, they're talking about the God of the Bible. They say that, but that's not the same one. They, they've packed different meaning into that name. It's not the same one. And when they talk about Jesus, they're even named after Jesus. Not, not your Jesus, not the Jesus we learn about in the New Testament. Don't be gullible. And notice, notice this now. God was never a man. God the Father was never a man. There are not many gods. And you can't become a god. What a blasphemous thought that you could become a god. That is shocking. And that's what our Mormon neighbors, whom we love, who we want to reach for Christ, their starting point is very off. And so it's a massive collection of destructive heresies in Mormonism, a cleverly devised myth. I love this. The Holy Spirit gave us a guard against this way back in the book of Galatians. In Galatians 1, I've loved this because the claim of Joseph Smith was that an angel gave him this revelation. He dug up the Book of Mormon and translated and all that. But a very different gospel. But listen to what the Holy Spirit gave to Paul back in Galatians 1.6. He said, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Listen to this. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And so even if someone claims an angel brought them a new gospel in contradiction to the New Testament, do not follow them. So again, application, prepare yourself to stand firm for Christ. Be ready to love Mormons when you talk to them. Graciously share the gospel with Mormons because they don't know Jesus. They are lost. They, they, they're lost. They might look clean cut, but it's just as lost as somebody else. And so you can take this approach, and this is what I have done in the past when Mormons have come to my door. I don't want to come angry to them. I'm not trying to win an argument with them. I want to win them to Christ. That's the goal. They need Jesus, just like you and I needed Jesus. And so what I've learned to do is when when I recognize it's the Mormons at the door, they come more recognizable with their ties and the badges and all that. You know, okay, that's not Jehovah's Witnesses. This is the Mormons. But really the same approach. Open the door. Hey, I'm glad you're here. I want to share good news with you, how you can be saved and have your sins forgiven and have eternal life through faith in Jesus alone. The Mormons will typically respond, we believe that too. And with a smile on your face, with love in your heart, you say, actually, you don't. Actually, you don't. Because you believe that you're saved by works. I've been able to quote back to them, their, their statement that says, you're saved by grace after all that you can do. That's Mormon grace. You're saved by grace after all that you can do. That's not the gospel. 
That's nothing like the gospel where Jesus paid it all on the cross and we trust in him. So it's tricky wordplay, but you're gonna love them enough to say, actually, we're not talking about the same thing. You could even ask them, don't, don't you believe that there are many gods? They might try to deny it a little bit. Well, no, we, we deal with this God, but, but then you can ask them, don't you believe that by being a good Mormon, you can become a God? And they'll have to acknowledge that. And so we want to be very clear, we wanna be very careful but we want to be very compassionate and share the gospel with them. So we're just talking about there are destructive heresies. And one of them is to deny the master who bought them. But here's another one Peter calls out. Many will follow their sensuality. So again, we're, we're, we've illustrated with the Mormons. Now let's pivot away from the Mormons. There are plenty of false teachers and this is their move. You can recognize it. They, they want you to follow their sensuality. And this is very relevant to our day. We have many false teachers. This is one of the marks in our generation. They will teach you something other than biblical sexual morality. They will say, you come follow us into this new understanding of this. That word follow there carries the idea of imitating or conforming. So the message of many false teachers in Richmond and around the country, around the world is this. You follow and conform to your lusts. Isn't the, isn't the message of our generation, you are what you lust after. You are your lust. You, you identify yourself as what you lust after. Whereas the word of God says, no, you, you are who Christ called you to be. That we all have passions. We all have things in us that I wish I didn't have that. But all that's to be surrendered to Christ. We're to conform ourselves to Christ who mercifully saved us. Not whatever I feel like or whatever I'm tempted to do is somehow me. But, but listen, all over the city, you could go to churches where, where though the Bible clearly teaches that sex is a gift to be enjoyed between a husband and wife in marriage only, they'll teach something else. Like they'll act like there is no such thing as sexual sin. That's an old idea. You do whatever you want to. And they feel like they're being very tolerant. It's ungodly, it's false teaching, and it does great harm. It is a destructive heresy of our day. I don't know why these pastors have left the Bible. I think many of them have never met Jesus. It's evident by their false teaching. I think some people fear the disapproval of the culture. I think some people want to tell people what they wanna hear. It's certainly a more popular thing to do, but essentially, whatever the motive, they're calling God a liar. When God has told us very clearly, this is right, this is good, this is the way to flourishing, this is the way that will bless you, go this way. But when they teach contrary to that, they're false teachers and they're doing great harm. Because this is such an issue in our day, I want you to hear again, what God says about sexual sin, sexual, thing is, sexual sin is a thing, and thank God you can be forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. But listen to this, this is 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Or 1 Corinthians six eighteen, he says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. 
There are false teachers, some of them leading people by the millions into sensuality, telling them to conform to them, them and to that teaching. And it's true, the word of the truth has been blasphemed by them. But Peter gives us one more descriptor of these destructive heresies he was dealing with. And it's this, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. So one of the marks so common among some false teachers is greed. They want your money. And this is the issue with the prosperity gospel, these word of faith churches that really peddle something other than the cross and the resurrection for eternal life. It's, it's you can get rich now. And, and you'll have pastors in these churches who will abuse the people demanding more and more money and using all kinds of spiritual jargon, more money, more money, more money, you gotta give more. If you want that blessing, if you want God's favor in your life, you better give more, you better give more. And people will lose thousands of dollars over the time giving into that type of thing. Listen, they're being exploited. And 2,000 years ago, we were warned about that. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. And it's not just here in the United States. It's happening all across Richmond, all across the country, but it's all around the world. Reading again about this problem in the continent of Africa, that this false gospel is in many, many of the churches. World Magazine said this in, a, in an article, said, speaking of these false teachers there, they do not preach Christ crucified. Instead, they proclaim healing, miracles, and support for the tired and overworked as the priority of the church. These so-called men of God divert the theological foundations of the church using all the means of propaganda for manipulating their followers, looking for social rank, honor, and money by means of miracles and healings. So many false teachers can be identified by their greed. But then finally this, and we'll do it quickly, we've been talking about the reality of false teachers, the danger of false teachers, but this, the condemnation of false teachers. Let's read about their condemnation. Look at the latter part of verse one. Peter says, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Or the latter part of verse two. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. In other words, here it is. Though false teachers are plentiful, God is aware they're not getting away with it. Judgment is coming and we need to know that. We need to know that it's coming and we don't wanna be numbered among those who are gonna receive that judgment as false teachers. We wanna get as far from them as possible. A couple of other words of application, make sure you haven't come to want the message of the false teachers. Remember we saw this, 2 Timothy 4.3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Make sure you haven't started craving the false message that some of these people are out there teaching. Here's another word of application. Make sure you have not become a false teacher. It's a word for me as a pastor. I'll make sure I haven't become a false teacher. I can't I stay tethered to the word of God and keep us from that. But what about you? You realize you have more influence than I have where you work, where you go to school. People will listen to you. They, they, a lot of people will just tune at me out because of what I do. But you're the one who has credibility in your circles. And when somebody asks you about, hey, what do you think about God? What do you think about, how can a person be right with God? How can a person go to heaven? What's your answer to that? When people bring up some of these issues of the sexual revolution of our generation, and they ask, what do you think on that? What do you say? I realize it's the hot seat that you're on in those moments and you don't wanna to have to answer those questions, 
But make sure you're not saying something contrary to the Word of God or you are a false teacher. You're using your influence instead of leading people to the gospel and the forgiveness that all of us can experience through faith in Jesus. You're leading them to a false message. You're fine like you are. You don't need to repent. You don't need Jesus only. You are a false teacher. You're dooming people. And that same warning of judgment would be for anybody who would become a false teacher. Listen, we have the serious warning of Jesus, not just here, but Luke 17, 2. Speaking about people who would be stumbling blocks to others, Jesus said it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. We can't be those people. So what is our best defense against being deceived by false teachers? First of all, it's this, put your faith in the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Trust Jesus only as your savior. Jesus indeed, did, did indeed come and give his life on the cross for you, poured out his blood for you to make atonement for your sins. On the third day, he was raised up from the dead. And Jesus, Jesus promised in John three, if you believe in him, you'll not perish, but have everlasting life. Trust in Jesus, the biblical Jesus, and be born again, have everlasting life. What's your next defense against false teaching? Read your Bible, <clears throat> read the Bible, understand the Bible so that you'll know what truth is and you'll know what error is. Read your Bible, understand it. But then this, use that Bible, use that knowledge to test every message you hear. When someone stands or sits to talk about spiritual things, make sure you're testing everything you're hearing by the scripture. The question is not, are they holding a Bible? The question is not, are they standing near a Bible, but is that message coming from the Bible? Is this in harmony with what the church has taught for 2000 years? Is, is this in harmony with scripture or is this some novel idea of the last 20 years? And you want to be tethered to the scripture yourself. Test everything by the scriptures. Let's pray together.